This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And now everyone's talking about how AI can change how we live our lives and make things just a bit easier for all of us. Um, and this includes in the field of medicine. Now, one of the potential areas is in radiology, where a lot of research is being carried out um, to look into how AI could help in different areas, such as um, diagnosis and interpretation of medical images, as well as to generate data sets um, among more other general users in medicine. Now, but does this, that, does this necessarily mean that AI will take over the role of our doctors? I'm here to offer some insights into what AI can offer in radiology and also medicine as a whole is Dr. Evelyn Ho, consultant clinical radiologist and the immediate past president of the Asian Oceanian Society of Radiology. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Evelyn. Thank you for having me. Now, maybe before we um, I get into the, the, the AI aspect, right? Um, could you help us understand what your role is as a clinical radiologist? Okay, we are actually diagnostic- diagnosticians. Mm-hmm. So we are doctors where we look at, not just look, actually the whole diagnostic continuum nowadays involves a little bit of uh, therapeutics in the sense that how uh, the medication or the treatment has improved a patient, or how a patient even naturally recovers because Mm -hmm. our body is very remarkable. And in addition, we also do what is known as intervention. So minimally invasive interventions is what we call it because we can do it by looking through the images. Mm -hmm. So we can target things which you cannot see with your eye. We need to use an imaging. What do we use? Ultrasound. We may use MRI. We may use CT scan. We may even use the X-ray to help us target certain things like removal of fluid, removal of tissue, or even to put in medication. Okay, so we can do it through catheters, like uh, in uh, catheterizing or or treatment of liver cancers. Mm -hmm. So we can put in either uh, a radioactive uh, material. We can also uh, cook lesions in the liver or anywhere else uh, where it is has already been tested to be safe. So we use radio frequencies, we use microwave, and we also use thermal ablation. So these are all the various roles of uh, radiologists. And of course, we all subspecialize. Some people just specialize in general radiology reading, and which means that we look at the clinical information of the patient to come to a diagnosis we may not always need to pull up the data of the patient Mm -hmm. to be able to give the diagnosis, but it definitely requires us to correlate both clinical information as well as what we see in front of us. Why? Because many things look the same, Mm. but it may be caused by different uh, situations and we are there to help the whole, we are part of the whole team to help direct the medication, the treatment, or even most of all diagnosis. What are we dealing with? How do we point other non-radiologist clinicians to the right area. For example, if we see in a lung lots of messes in a young man who is relatively well, then we would like to know, does he have a mess in the testicles, the scrotum? Mm -hmm. Because if he does, then we are looking at metastasis from probably uh, testicular cancer. Mm -hmm. But if we see it in an older person and, uh, you know, who also may not have any symptoms, then we may come to a conclusion that this may be metastasis from some other common common cancers that metastasize to the lungs, such as the colon, you know, or even the breast. Mm. It really goes back to looking at the patient as a whole, not just whichever yes, part that they, they whichever right. symptom that they came in for. And that's why I like radiology because we actually see the patient 
uh, more as a whole rather than just as a sub sub area. Uh, but unfortunately, these days, because mm. we, to be good in what we do, we need to do have to sub specialize in certain specific areas, like for mm. example, your thoracic radiologist or a cardiac radiologist. But Malaysia currently still needs a lot of general radiologists. So very few of us, unless you are in our ivory towers of academic institutions mm -hmm. or our uh, government institutions, which are centers of excellence, it's very difficult to just focus on that. Then you find that the majority of our, our population will not get the services they need. In mm. earlier, Dr. Evelyn, you mentioned all the different technology that, that you use as a radiologist, you know, especially um, th those that are more common to people, the x-rays, the MRIs, the CT and PET scans. Um, I'm sure it's also it, there's also tech involved when you talk about minimally, minimally invasive procedures. Consider how reliant is your field on advances in these technology for you to be able to improve how you treat patients as well? Yeah, that's the other part of why I love radiology is because it and its allied fields are very much dependent on technology. And ever since the computing power has advanced, so has our technology advanced. And therefore, we have lots of new uh, things to work with, mm. which helps us become better at what we do, which is to help the patient come to a diagnosis or, or suggest what is the best uh, course of treatment if you are an, uh, an interventional radiologist. So we are always at the forefront or at the frontier of technology, whether it's the, the computing, whether it is even in AI. Mm. So that is because radiology is right now uh, so much digital, digitalized that we have lots of data, which AI can be used to uh, help us a lot. A lot. In fact, there's so much explosion that every day if you open, uh, you know, you just check your email and you get lots of newsletters of where AI is doing this, AI mm -hmm. is doing that. And uh, in every particular aspect. If we look at AI through the, just through imaging itself, that means looking at images, there are areas in which it could be just what is the text test, what is the test that is the best to use? Mm -hmm. What kind of image formation can we have? Can we lower our radiation dose? Can we improve? What happens if the patient moves during the scan? Do we need to redo the whole scan? Mm -hmm. Can AI help us to fill up the gaps or even reduce the artifacts uh, which arise because the patient was unable to cooperate? Can we reduce repeat imaging, right? Can we triage? For example, now in ER, you have lots of patients coming in and you may have a very busy ER department in a very huge hospital, right? So then the radiologist is looking at these massive amounts of who do we report first? Which are the ones having the likelihood? Now, so AI here doesn't diagnose. AI here just picks up, hey, this one may have a significant information and therefore it puts it up at the top and we report that first because it might have a very significant, for example, a patient may be critically injured and needs and, and the doctors in ER need to know about it. So that's how it helps. Uh, so, and then what else can it do? Computer-aided detection has been around forever. So mm -hmm. when we talk about AI, actually it is, uh, well, uh, some people like to say it's glorified computer-aided detection, but that is very narrow AI. Eh? Mm -hmm. Narrow AI is when we help to detect disease so we have computer-aided detection, which is now better because of the learning models. And again, as I said, the computing power. How do we classify disease and how do we report, right? Sometimes the reports are, you know, it's something very tedious that we have to do, but mm. we have to do it in a way that helps. And uh, there's a lot of talk about using specific templates, which I would say sometimes it's uh, it can be very onerous and tedious because you have to write, I didn't see this, I didn't see this in every mm. single area, rather than come up and say, I saw this, that, and that, and this is the significant findings, and therefore I recommend this, that, or 
I need to pick up the phone and call the, the referring uh, non-radiologist doctor who can be anyone, can be a general practitioner from outside. It can be somebody in the hospital. Uh, remember, we have many types of uh, healthcare settings. Some of them are standalone. Mm. So we need to be able to pick up and call. Then what about patients where we found something incidental? Mm. That means came in, say, for abdominal pain. I did an ultrasound and I found you know something which I need to follow up on. So who is going to make sure that the patient comes for the follow-up? So we have people falling through the cracks. For example, you came in for a cardiac uh, CT because you had you know, coronary artery disease and your cardiologist is looking. But you know what? The CT scan picks up a lot of stuff. And AI can help in what we call opportunistic screening, mm -hmm. which is they are looking at how we can pick up incidental findings, such as uh, are your muscles uh, wasting away? when you are on cancer treatment. Uh, are you, for example, you come for CT for abdomen, but are you actually having osteoporosis? Mm. So I don't have to go for a separate bone mineral density test based on health screening, but I came in for something and that information that is available, especially in sectional imaging, there's just so much information available on it. How can we use it without adding work to ourselves? So if AI involves us having to click, click, click a lot more, then you'll find that it tires the radiologists. And I think the right now, there's a lot of talk about shortage of radiologists worldwide. And they talk about burnout, not just in radiologists, in many doctors. And I think the COVID accelerated many so-called early retirements mm. because it, they really burned out during that period. So how can AI reduce the tedious, repetitive tasks, which actually machines are better at doing than human beings sometimes, mm -hmm. and uh, give us more time to actually be doctors to our patients again, instead of staring at the monitor all the time. Can we talk to our patients more? And uh, <clears throat> they have done a lot of studies also to find out that patients actually uh, do comply better and do appreciate a radiologist explaining the findings that they have. It improves their compliance mm -hmm. with, you know, for example, I need to stop smoking. Yeah. Or they they, uh, they they understand what is going on in their body rather than, you know, the doctor. I think patients today are quite a different uh, lot from the old days. They, they do want to know what's happening, what's happening. They want to be part of the, you know, treatment plan. Mm -hmm. Of course, we always will have those who say, whatever you say, doctor, I will follow. We will always have ulcers. But I think we need to bring more value to healthcare. Mm. And we have, unfortunately, become, even if you go to your clinic, they are all busy looking and keying in things. You know, who has the time to actually spend talking to you because we are keen. So if you ask me, the electronic medical record system is really good for management of the patients mm. and the data billing and all that, but it's not very good for the patient-doctor relationship. All right, we do have to go for a quick break. Now on the show with me today is Dr. Evelyn Ho, consultant clinical radiologist and the immediate past president of the Asian Oceanian Society of Radiology, sharing her insights into the role of AI in radiology as well as in medicine. So keep it here on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And joining me on the show today is Dr. Evelyn Ho, consultant clinical radiologist. She's also the immediate past president of the Asian Oceanian Society of Radiology to discuss the topic of AI in medicine, but particularly in radiology, which is what she specializes in. 
So there's a lot for us to unpack here, Dr. Evelyn. You know, we, we probably can't get to all of them. But if we look at some of the highlights, right, you, you mentioned that computer-aided detection is a very narrow view of AI. Um, um, things like use of AI in screening. And yet that's the one that we hear about the most, right? And and we've, we've heard of um, studies that have gone back retrospectively to compare the use of uh, AI in picking up abnormalities versus what the doctor picked up. Um, some cases found that there were high um, false positives and then some studies found that um, I think there was one more recently that was um, interim results from a trial was published in the journal Lancet Oncology recently. They found that um, AI-supported screening was uh, could half the workload of doctors when it comes to breast cancer screening, for example. How promising uh, are these advances for you? You know, do you see that? the use of AI in picking... I mean, you, you've, you've touched on it a bit here and then, how it could reduce the workload of doctors because you don't have to go back and do more tests. But how how promising is this for you as a radiologist? Uh, definitely very promising. Uh, but you need to know that in the screening program for mammography for mm-hmm. breast cancer... Uh, the Europeans have a double reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some other countries who do it also have double reading. That means you must have two radiologists reading it uh, before it's considered complete. So in that situation, can you imagine the workload uh, would be half, meaning that instead of having two radiologists, you have one radiologist, the other radiologist can start doing something Mm. else. You can just imagine how much better the workload is. But if you you look carefully at the report, it is also still too early, actually, Mm. uh, to, to say that it is going to be definitely useful. I think Dr. Christina Lang, who was the one of the lead authors, say that it it helps us, you know, but it's very, very good in the sense that they do not have to stop the trial. Now, mm-hmm. most trials such as this, if they find that it causes more harm, they have to stop the trial because it's not fair to the uh, person who is coming in for the screening. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the other thing is that they have to make sure that they have to confirm that this is replicable. So we're actually waiting for the complete results to come out in a couple of years time uh, to, to see whether or not it is able to do exactly and perform exactly as it is. Now, when we talk about AI programs such as this, we have to be very cautious because the training data, Mm -hmm. the data used to train the AI program may not apply in your population. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because they have, number one, uh, different features. Uh, They may different ethnicities. They may use uh, different kinds of, I'm, I'm not talking about mammography now, but in general, uh, when you talk about training data sets, is what kind of equipment it was used in. Can I apply that software program to other uh, centers who use different kind of equipment? Maybe I did it on vendor A's equipment, but not on vendor B's equipment. And then you have to also see whether they have captured biases in the data. So this is very interesting that whatever the you know, garbage in, garbage out kind of a situation, I think uh, people can relate to that. So if we feed it with certain kinds of data, which are certain kind of biases, then the AI assumes that is your norm. Mm. Uh, remember that this artificial intelligence is not human. It has no consciousness, actually. And unlike for, for me now talking to you, I can see you, you can see me, we can mm-hmm. see our expressions. We pick up a lot of cues. Mm-hmm. But the AI does not look at it this way. They're very specific. They have many layers of how they interact with each other. And the data propagates in a very specific direction. Have you ever tried uh, punching on your computer keyboard too many 
you know, uh, instructions, you find that the computer hangs. Mm -hmm. It doesn't know what to do. So basically, uh, AI could also give rise to this kind of situation. If you see something that is never seen before, it may stop and think, okay, what am I going to do? Like the driverless cars. I think uh, if you read most recently, the reports, the driverless cars are giving some kind of um, concern because uh, we are talking about those where there's no human being uh, at the seat and mm -hmm. the, the kind of behavior it causes. And it says it's still some time away before it's actually truly safe to be released. <clears throat> so now anybody who sits in there probably needs to, you know, test it and sign a disclaimer mm. because it when it sees too many uh, information, sometimes it just freezes. It doesn't behave in a way which a human being is able to process so much information in a way that is, um, which we take for granted. Mm -hmm. We don't realize how many neural networks. So I read something which may help our listeners here mm -hmm. is that, when we have our, our synapses, our neurons in our brain talking to each other, they can do it in any direction with any neuron as long as they are in a, within a certain vicinity. Whereas on, in a computer, it has to go in a specific direction and it, it doesn't do this uh, automatic connection. However, the latest generative models obviously have already been able to try to look at similarities and link things together, which is why we have this... Um, explosion of excitement about chat GPT, which mm -hmm. is one of the uh, popular large language models freely available for you to download and try uh, unless you want to use the premium version. Um, so the main reason is because the interface between user and the program has been so simple as I just type slash slash and some, some uh, instruction and it will come up with something. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I have seen it come up with... Uh, fake information about somebody they don't know about. Because we, mm -hmm. if, you, if you test and play around with it, it can be quite fun. And also, uh, I think some people have found out that it comes out with weird information. Mm -hmm. It creates and fills information there. And sometimes it can be hostile. So it's very strange behavior, which they, are, which they need to, to uh, sort out. It has improved, obviously. Uh, but still, we are some way away from thinking that it is an intelligent being. It still uh, will not be able to do what a human being does, as in picking up cues and looking at the whole process. And in fact, one look at the patient, and sometimes we can tell, okay, this patient most likely smells, has a smell like this. And we say, A, disease B or A or C is very much in the at the top of our mind, mm -hmm. and then we start looking for specific uh, supporting evidence, either in your blood test or your imaging test, for example. So this, these are some things which they are hoping to develop in AI. Uh, so that's why there's a lot of uh, information coming up. This is not just in cancer detection. What we want to do as radiologists to help us is that, okay, patient has, A, has so many nodules, let's just say in the lungs and mm. in the abdomen. And then our job every time to see them, to help the oncologist, is to see how it has improved or mm -hmm. not improved, mm -hmm. right? So can you imagine sitting down there, calculating and counting volume determination? It takes a very long time. It is actually very tiring to look mm -hmm. at because it's always a total body scan. Mm. All right. When you look at CT and MR, it's a lot more information because it is so much detail on the anatomy. So... AI will be very helpful because it will be able to pick up the lesions that we have highlighted the previously, mm -hmm. and then it will compare and then see what's the size, the volume, and then come up with all these. And then, then we look at it and say, okay, did it do the right thing or not? Now, if AI or 
the computer-aided programs, picks up too many things and keeps throwing out things which are not relevant. Mm. What we do is we want to switch it off and therefore it has not helped us at all. So we, we need to validate all these uh, you know, AI programs in our systems. Now, the thing is that we are being bombarded every day by vendors telling us, why don't you install this, mm -hmm. install that. But the thing is that when we ask to validate the program, it is it doesn't come free mm. in many instances. So we are, if you're in an academic institution, you may get some kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, an agreement as to what happens when you publish the results of using it. But if not, otherwise, for example, there's another one. And I, I am also a breast imager mm -hmm. in that I do a lot of breasts and uh, I also advocate for breast health. So we find that in another study, when they looked at a software mm -hmm. to look and see whether it is better at detecting cancer in dense breast. I think there's so much talk about dense breast, meaning that it can mask cancers in a mammogram, mm -hmm. right? So dense breast just means that you have a higher proportion of fibrous tissue and glands in relation to fat and other components of the breast. So they found that if I use AI, it wasn't as good as using memo and ultrasound, both of which are right now human human person, uh, a radiologist who actually interprets it. Mm -hmm. Instead, they found that when they added AI, the results were not as good. And then they thought, why not we add memo, ultrasound and AI, right? Shouldn't it be better? Uh, but no, it wasn't as good because there were a, a more false positives, right? So if you have too many false positives, that means I'm putting a lot of women and scaring them that you have cancer when you don't have. So in that sense, the AI has not helped. So for every positive thing that you read, mm. there's obviously some negative which is not picked up by, you know, media. Mm. Mainstream media picks up all the positive, uh, nice sounding things because it is just so exciting for everyone. Uh, we are all excited in radiology waiting for AI to take away the tedium <laughs> of some of the things we have to do. Mm -hmm. And most of all, I think if AI could help us bring up all the relevant information that the patient has, rather than we having to go and dig into the uh, you know, medical records, what's, what's the lab test for this, what's the, you know, when was the previous. And I think right now, not too many AI applications are able to bring up all your past um examinations for comparisons. Now in radiology and imaging, a lot of it depends on what you had in the past, what you had five years ago, three years ago, uh, not just in oncology patients, I mean, not only in cancer patients, mm -hmm. but in fact, in many patients to find out whether, hey, did you have this scar in your lung a long time ago or is it new? It makes a great difference. Mm. So it, it's right now, not, not many programs are pulling up old for comparison. And I can foresee one of the, Difficulties is that unless it can tell how the image, like 10 years ago, you may have used a different machine. Mm -hmm. You may have different protocols, right? So there's no one size fits all when we image a patient. We need to know roughly what are we thinking of? What do you think this is a possible diagnosis? And therefore what we do. Mm. So in screening, however, is a completely different program. You're perfectly well. You come in, you do a basic just a mammogram. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, you will be called back or we go on to further tests. Same with the low-dose lung cancer screening. It's just prescribed low-dose lung cancer screening and that's all. But when a patient comes with a clinical problem, I have a, you know abdominal pain for the last three months, I've already done all the basic tests, I still cannot find. Then you have to you know have some idea what we are looking at uh, rather than do a one-size-fits-all. 
So you will find that in comparing, you will find that, hey, this one was done this way, this this examination was done the other way. Can I bring in multimodality comparison? So there's lots of areas in which we are hoping AI can help us to augment our work as a radiologist, to take away the tedium of an repetitive work, which machines can do well. Mm. There's another area which AI is looking at is can it do better than radiologists? <laughs> can it can it do better than the dermatologists? Mm. Can it do better than the pathologists? I mean, it's, it's not just in radiology that AI is uh, working in, it's working in everywhere. Can it do better in helping us collaborate as mm. a team for better team management? Can it save us time in so many ways? So it is a very exciting area, but right now uh, lots of studies are going on. Can it be trained on data from all over the world. So mm. now you find that centers are looking for data. We call the data sharing repository so that they can train on, say, different types of ethnicities, different types of, uh, you know, uh, say I have a CT lung, for mm. example, coming from different parts of the world. Can, can you do that? Do you have a repository for that? How do you How do you make sure that they all, after a while, can be read in a specific way. Remember, for computers, we must present information in very specific components, mm. not like a human being. I you can, can just dump at... everything. Yes, you can dump everything and you can sort it out. You can have a table, a mess, and we can sort <laughs> it out that, oh, this is a cup that is, you know, it took mm. so long for the computers to identify a dog is a dog. Mm. Yeah, uh, and then what happens if a spider is has a different background? You take photos of spiders, you ask a computer to identify the spider. Sometimes it has a leaf, sometimes it's on a wall, you know, things like that. So there's, there's so much in the human mind that I think people forget that it is not actually human. I mean, I, I watch a lot of sci-fi and uh, horrors <laughs> once uh, sci-fi takes over because it has no... I think it, what it lacks so much is in the robots that you have seen is the empathy. Even if they try to make it have empathy, does it have real empathy? Can can it tell the difference when I look at a child? Mm. Yeah. Uh, how does it relate to you? Uh, even the writing, I think... Um, I think the screenwriters are kind of worried because uh, if ChatGPT or large language models mm -hmm. can write the script, are they out of a job? Yes. Uh, and then what about authors, right? In fact, now the the just I just saw a uh, you know a headline about how AI develop uh, uh, medication. Mm. Oh, they can do everything. But when it, when he talks about a writer talking to someone, can the writing speak to you? For those who have played around with ChatGPT, you will realize that it's very so-called clinical. It's very All the stilted. information. Yes, it is very stilted. And, and some people say, oh, why not? I, I you know, start with that. Uh, it works very well for proposals. It is trying to be done for radiology reports. They're looking at how it can help us fill mm -hmm. up all the tedious, ho-hum stuff so that we always automatically have to write. And can it pull out important information for us? So if you use a structured template, AI is able to work better. But mm -hmm. if I use say, free-flow language, uh, then it's something which is very different. It's very stilted. It's very specific. After a few times, you can say, uh, can you write something about Sue Ann, who is a famous author? Mm -hmm. It will write something about you. It doesn't check to see whether you're an author or not. Mm. So uh, so th there is no... And then it hallucinates. So I tried <laughs> asking is, why do you write fake data? Oh, to make him sound more professional. Mm. And we don't, and we don't want fake data in medicine especially. No, and you don't want when they generate and improve images to add in fake data, mm. right? Mm. Which is incorrect because mm. it is then 
Then you have just you have just told you have just opened up the next field. What is the ethics of using AI? We'll go for another quick break, Dr. Evelyn, then continue this conversation. When we come back, we are talking about the role of AI in radiology and medicine with Dr. Evelyn Ho, consultant clinical radiologist and the immediate past president of the Asian Oceanian Society of Radiology. Keep it here on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su, and we are talking about the role of AI in radiology today with Dr. Evelyn Ho, consultant clinical radiologist and the immediate past president of the Asian Oceanian Society of Radiology. Dr. Evelyn, you mentioned the generation of images. Now, I've been reading up about that and that's quite interesting because I read that some researchers are inputting information to AI so that they come up with their own medical images that they can learn from. So instead of using um, patients' records, medical images that have been taken from other patients, um, why is this necessary? How is that helpful to have generated images versus using what um, doctors might already have in their records? One is, I can think of, is sometimes you may not have the full range of the disease. Mm. Right. So in the if I can mention the old days, uh, when you study in Malaysia versus when you study in, say, uh, USA, mm -hmm. you are exposed to a different uh, type of disease pattern. So that's one area where you can do it. Two is the privacy issues nowadays. Mm. OK, so everybody is very careful because in digital data, even though you anonymize it, they have shown that the CT scan can actually reconstruct your face based on your CT of your head. Wow. That is kind of scary, right? Mm. Because you're you are assuming that the data you put out there is going to be for learning purposes only. Uh, the other thing is that so that you can give all the different kinds of possibilities, which you may have seen sometimes, but may not have in your teaching. Mm. All of us keep, all of us actually keep uh, so-called interesting cases, mm -hmm. unusual cases for teaching purposes. And we have to keep lots of normals. Mm. So when I studied medicine, we used to have this huge book that we bought, which are all the normal variations in a human body for anatomy. So there is just so much abnormal, that, uh, uh, a rather range of normal. Mm -hmm. It's like the bell-shaped curve, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that for teaching may be very useful. You, you don't have to. It's just like using, instead of having to have a real dead body cadaver, mm -hmm. now you can have a, a simulated thing and you can dissect, remove the muscle and look at the nerves and the vessels without actually having to cut. Actually, it's very expensive to get a dead body, mm. which is donated to science for us to carve up Mm -hmm. a cadaver, which is the, the real-life original way in which we studied anatomy. Mm -hmm. So today, uh, it's very expensive to do that. They even do virtual. So those those are different ways in which uh, AI in education is, again, also very, very exciting. Mm. May not have answered the whole question there, <laughs> but that's some of the things which I'm thinking of if I were an educator. Mm. Um. You spoke a bit about bias in the in in collection of data when we were talking earlier about um diagnost uh, about screening picking abnormalities. Is there concern that these generated images could also have inbuilt biases? Um, <clears throat> that bias is more on training data, mm. so that after that that they it's I'm talking about the interpretive AI mm. uh, uh, softwares. So it may interpret based on the kind of data is it's leaning on. And it assumes that 
all this must be due to this kind of finding or it attaches significance to a specific kind of finding. Mm -hmm. So bias, as you know, occurs in everything, in, in how even me and you talking together, our yes. bias is, are we pro-AI or are we anti-machine kind of biases? So we, we, we tend to think, so if you teach the, or rather not that we teach, uh, the other thing about how it learns in, in this deep learning neural networks is that it gets better over time, right? Mm. So you have heard of the black box in AI training. The problem is we have no clue how the machine has learned on and improved itself. Mm. So then, then you ask me if they generate something wrong, all right, who is responsible for it, right? Mm. You cannot blame the machine. At the end of the day, it's still the doctor who signs off, whether it's looking at the skin lesion or the pathology for cells or it's a brain image, uh, neuroimager. Uh, we have to be the ones who sign off. So in, in that way, you can never get rid of the human being. Mm. If you did, then automation by right, uh, ever since automation started, not just specifically AI. By the way, AI is not new. Uh, since the 1950s, mm -hmm. they just sat together and they decided to call it artificial intelligence. And I just read a piece by Ted Chiang, who is an American-Chinese um, writer mm -hmm. on sci-fi. And he says he would not have chosen the word artificial intelligence because it gives you the feeling that it's human and it's able to reach human, uh, you know, uh, the whole section of being a human. Mm. He says it's more like applied statistics. That's what he said. So uh, we have to be aware that we now will be training it. So let's just say we train it all on data, which is only a, a white population. So then it will, it will, it will look at, it's, it's like saying, you know, everybody who is white mm. is a human being. Let's just say data. On, let's look at photos. I'll make mm -hmm. it easy. All right. It's a human being. So because it's only trained on white data, I'm giving you a very ridiculous, preposterous <laughs> example. So now you put someone who is from, uh, you know, who is very dark skin. Mm -hmm. It may not recognize it as such uh, something to the effect of biasness as to what is considered normal, for mm. example, for the training data set. Remember, it is not personal. It is completely a machine at the moment. That's why it's called machine learning. Mm -hmm. So artificial intelligence is just a big thing. Under that subset is machine learning. And under machine learning is a neural networks. And then you have deep learning. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, it's all quite confusing, actually. Mm. Do you think that there is that disconnect between what the layperson thinks that AI can actually do in medicine versus what it actually can do from your perspective as a physician? Yeah, it does because... Uh, I will have to say mainstream media would have done it in such a way that it can be a human being. Mm. I think maybe 10 years ago, a friend of mine texted me and said, hey, I'm at a conference. And so-and-so from this big, huge IT company is saying that you will be out of a job. <laughs> so, But it is far more complex than they think. Mm. Okay, so even in simple case of writing, if you talk to a writer, they will say that no, a writing involves creativity and how we put things together, our expression, it is individualized to the individual. For example, when we read this, I say, oh, this is so-and-so's, you know, uh, books, the style of so-and-so's writing. Mm -hmm. um, but, and of course, uh, so it... Unfortunately, it makes you think it is human, but it is actually not. We need to remember they are machines, or rather they are software applications. They are algorithms that are made to work. So that's why the chatbot of those days and the chatbot of today is still very irritating. Every time I try the chatbot, <laughs> it irritates me to the high ends because it will finally say, okay, I can't sort this out. And it will, if it connects me to a human being, I'm very happy. 
Mm. But most of the time, it does not at all. It and ends then the try, conversation there. Yes. And on top of it, if you look at most of the website, when you try to find a human being, you can't. There's mm. no number to call anymore. Mm. So it, it's, uh, it's, they can't answer everything. So it's the same. You have to think of AI as helping us, augmenting our work, improving the time required, uh, helping us to become, to have more time. To me, if AI helps me to become a better doctor to my patients, gives me time to go and talk to them, mm. gives me time to reassure them, gives me a connection with them. I think that is the whole purpose of how medicine started in the beginning. Mm. that we comfort our patients. We may cure only some of the time. You may have diseases which we can't cure, but if we can comfort you, that is very important. And sometimes the patient just needs you to listen to them. Mm -hmm. So I, I I don't know whether I would be great with teleradiology or, or <laughs> sorry, telemedicine, mm -hmm. not teleradiology, because if teleradiology is just about images, it's okay. The patient is not involved here. But in telemedicine per se, that's the whole thing about telemedicine. It works, especially during the pandemic because it was better than nothing else. It was safe. but And then they tried to improve it by having tactile mm. I think we have, it's games, right? It's all about games. If we have faster processing units, then the AI can do better. Uh, and, and how can we train? Mm. So for training, for example, when we do training for interventional pro for surgical uh, activities, you know, robotic surgery and all. Mm -hmm. So this is where I think uh, AI robots all come in very helpful so that we are not training on a real human being. We are not practicing and getting better on a real human being. So we are actually improving our skills to the level at which we can be uh, competent enough to be safe when we are so-called unleashed on a real on a real patient. So there, there, there's so many things. Uh, right now, my brain is like uh, everywhere. I just see mm. AI everywhere uh, because... Uh, it's just a new term. It's the new word that is uh, the buzzword that everybody uses. It is. It's like I say, it's, uh, if you look at the where it helps in interpretation, it's like a glorified computer-aided. <laughs> and don't forget, so computer-aided detection can be in triage, like mm -hmm. I mentioned, where it doesn't diagnose. It just says, there's something significant here. You better look at this first. Or it can actually diagnose for you. Mm -hmm. But more important now, can it predict? Can this patient's, uh, say for mammography, uh, or even lung cancer, can this patient, based on the all the different, the age, the, the ethnicity, um, the family history, and maybe if the patient has any genetic information or past medical history, putting everything together is able to tell you, hey, this patient we should see every six months, mm -hmm. not every year. Mm. Uh, or this patient, why not we see her every two years? She's extremely low risk, right? That's the purpose. We want to personalize our medicine. So personalized medicine is again another buzzword which was used like uh, more than a decade ago, <laughs> if not two decades ago or more. But we still haven't gotten there. We have gotten better, but we still haven't gotten there. So in medicine, everything takes a long time. And AI has been around for a long time. Uh, if It was a lot of hype. Now we're getting to the point where if you listen to all the webinars and mm -hmm. we organize it at the Asian Oceanian Society of Radiology, we have been trying to encourage the careful mm -hmm. and practical adoption of artificial intelligence amongst our allied professions. So the ethics of it, the black box nature, uh, the transparency fact that we do not know because we can't see how it works, right? The neural networks are going and, and thinking and how it learns, how it connects. We can't see. Uh, so then the question was at, at one of the medical legal is, now let's just say that some center use AI and some center doesn't use AI. Mm -hmm. And let's just say a, a significant disease was missed. 
right? Then the medical legal implications, was it because you didn't use AI, right? So this, these are some of the things which we need to consider and think about. Until AI becomes affordable to everyone and applicable in across all segments of population in all types of uh, resource settings and becomes standard of care, meaning that it's automatically installed in your machines where we don't have to make a choice of, I need to buy this, I need to add it to my you know, medical imaging uh, processing and management system. Uh, so then at that point in time, then it's fair to say that if you did not have this, mm. then maybe... Because maybe everyone's on the same page then. Yes, that's right. But now it's a, it's a very difficult situation. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a situation where I think most of the AI being in use are obviously being installed and then studies are being done on it to see how it applies in my local uh, setting. So mm. my wish is that, uh, if I have a wish list, is that the AI vendors could give us the ability to test in our local setting. Mm. More often than not, they'll say, why don't you give us your data for them to test on their system? That means mm. we have to upload the data. So then you have this patient safe, uh, privacy issues and you know we can't just upload data unless patient has signed consent. Mm -hmm, definitely. Right? Yeah, patient needs to say, okay, even if it identify and anonymize, you know, uh, are the patients aware of it? So yeah, the ethics and legal aspects is another big, huge area mm. that we need to talk about. Yeah, mm. One day. One day. There's a lot that remains. There's a lot of questions that remain unanswered. And I think what I'm really taking away from our discussion today, Dr. Evelyn, is the fact that I think there's a need to change how we talk about AI, right? We, we shouldn't be talking about how, oh, whether AI is coming in to replace doctors, but looking at it as, okay, AI, it can be a tool to augment the role of doctors. How do we look at it from that perspective? Because I think when we talk about if is it coming in to replace doctor, the tone is automatically different. Um, the discussions that you have around it is different. So there's that need to have that tonal shift. Well, uh, the main thing is that if we don't use AI to mm -hmm. augment our work, we will be replaced by the radiologist or the doctor who <laughs> uses AI to augment their work. Because whether we like it or not, it's here. Mm. And whether we like it or not, actually, all our machines have to some extent some kind of AI software application. Uh, the, whether it is related to computer-aided detection or whether it is workflow, how to improve our workflow uh, so that we don't waste time and uh, you know doing things, inputting, keying in many keystrokes to get to something that we want. So that particular infrastructure has to improve. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about AI, they're thinking only of the part of interpreting a, yes. a, a, a thing. That's all they're thinking about. Or mm -hmm. if I'm talking about in, if my general practitioner uses AI, they're all talking about, can it diagnose my disease? Like I think GPT-4 was used mm -hmm. in a dog who had a very unusual presentation which some of the vets could not and that particular thing went viral mm. how GPT-4 came out with the diagnosis and then the person went to the vet and told them about it and they tested it and it was the case mm. yes that is how it will augment our work but can it replace and can it treat you can you go out there and buy your own medication I think that's a very dangerous tool so it's like not having a license to do something and <laughs> going out there to do it I think we have to be very careful we have to think about AI in different ways mm -hmm. uh, to augment the workflow to actually give us more time. Why is it that after automation, we are still having long work days? Mm -hmm. Why? 
shouldn't it improve our lives? Why are people getting burned out, right? Mm -hmm. So these are areas in which AI can definitely help us. And we are all looking forward to it, especially if you see oncology is like, oh no, this one has got so many findings and I have to compare. Mm. And, and if I have to compare many years, it's not easy. It's going to be tedious. It takes a long time. Mm. I mean, if you want to do properly, mm -hmm. if you want to just, if, if you only have one finding, you know, in one organ, it's, it's straightforward. But even then, even then, there are, you have to look at other things. You cannot just look at one and say, okay, I've done my job already. That's it. No, there's a very narrow focus to it. So yeah, that's how we should look at AI. It's how to help us become better doctors. Mm. Definitely. How, how to help us uh, make less mistakes. Mm. Because machines, technically speaking, shouldn't tire. But I need to tell you, I just, you know, at work just suffered one of these, you know, electronic medical records or whatever mm -hmm. situation you have, it just goes down, mm. right? Everybody has experienced it. System is down, right? AI depends on computing power. Or electricity went down and your generators can only support X number of hours. Well, what are you going to do after that, right? Mm. So who can carry on? The human being. Right? <laughs> Ultimately. Ultimately, it's the human being. So yes, we cannot over-depend, but the, the day is coming where everything is just... It's just part of everything. It's seamless. All right. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Dr. Evelyn. Okay. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm not sure I answered more questions or raise more questions. <laughs> I mean, the whole point is to continuously raise these questions so that we'll slowly answer them over, over a longer period of time. I've been speaking to consultant clinical radiologist and the immediate past president of the Asian Oceanian Society of Radiology, Dr. Evelyn Ho. And we've been talking about how AI could potentially augment the role of healthcare workers um, with a specific focus in radiology as well. I'm Lim Suan and this has been Health & Living BFM. 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.